It's quite a like an earthy taste. It feels very vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it gives me like my mouth numbs up normally yeah, when I consume the other. Yeah. It's like medicinal and kind of taking your mind to a different place. But I think when we when we start to like describe other in that way, then that's when people would be like, "Well, then isn't it just a isn't it just a um, alcohol then?" But that's not. Kia ora, I'm Sue Berman, and I'm Benjamin Brooking. And this story is about ava, kava, kawa. Call it as you like. It's mixed in a bowl and drunk by the shell. Muddy looking in appearance and an earthy, tasty goodness on the palate. In this episode, we're exploring an old printed text with Nia and Pamata and visit a now and Todd at the Four Shells Carver Lounge. We hear how Carver plays an important role in ritual and ceremony right across to Moana Nuiakiwa and here in Tamaki Makoto as well. How did you come across this in the first place? You found it. I didn't know about it until you mentioned. Um, I was looking up in our storage room the Grace pamphlets because um, there's just so many resources to go through. So I was like, I'm I'm sure there's something in here that's not on the catalogue. So this is the book. It's called Some Folk Songs and Myths from Samoa. And this one's specifically talking on cover. And it's been translated by George Pratt and also edited by John Fraser. But I think this is a bit of a whole book that we're sort of missing um, because it's also starting from page 96. Kia ora, my name is Nia Vavao. Talofa, my name is Pamata Tolefua. Um, and today we discuss some um, themes from Samoan folk songs and myths. Um, this text um, has six solos about the kava. Solos, which is probably what I would say is poems, and it's about the origin of the kava or where the kava has traveled from um, through its heavenly nature right through to its earthly realms. Um, originally, the kava started in the heavens. It was consumed by the highest, so Tangalolangi is of the highest in the heavens. Um, the way the kava was distributed, if Tangalolangi was thirsty, a kava ceremony will happen. He will take his cup first, and the cup would be distributed around Sa Tangalolangi, which is his family. Until he's consumed his first, then it will be distributed to um, the wider council. So that form of recognition of the most elders is the same practices that the text talks about when it comes down to earth. Um, the highest chief and after the highest chief, the priest and then the priest to the council. Um, how the cover got to earth, um, heathens or deities back in the days also sort of manifested in sort of human figures. Um, so you have Tangalolangi who's in the heavens and then you have sort of his offsprings um, which he sort of had with human and then from then on the offsprings had held that sort of power between earthly realms and then the heavenly realms. Um, from then on, um, if they need any resources, which is the kava, the ava or the awa that's been sort of translated in other Pacific languages, they will go up to the heavens um, and bring that material down. What Pamata is describing from the book is the Samoan perspective of the way in which ava, the plant, became established across the Pacific and the mythology of its journey into human hands. They were so eager to bring the ava to serve their, their most highest in the earth that they, some of its roots or branches sort of fell off in pieces, but they only needed the root. Some of the earthly realms at that time who did not have any heavenly powers collected those um, discarded parts 
and actually grew them in sort of in their own villages. And the name of this person was Pava. And because he sort of collected what they sort of discarded and planted it and it grew abundantly, um, they considered his character as a thief or stealing of the heavenly drink. But according to Pava, it was just something that they discarded. So it was like one man's trash is another's treasure kind of a thing. During that time, Pava followed the normal cultural rules, was which is to serve the deity um, at the utmost. So he got his wife to prepare the drink. Um, when you're preparing an other drink, it is believed, or according to the text, you must be in complete silence. That's to honor the drink or because of the drink is sacred. Um, Pava had three kids. One was making noise so much that the deity asked, you need to sort of hush the child while your wife is preparing the drink. After three times, the deity struck the child with a coconut leaf. He split him in half and then Pava was so sad about it that um, the deity sort of just put the child back in one piece and sort of that was his warning to Pava that he possesses power that he cannot so ensure that when he's serving him, which is the God, that he's serving him with his utmost respect. And when you read the story in this, in this book, was it fam- familiar to you? No, I have not heard of this this yeah. account. And I know each village has their own account. That's why they kind of name some one stories as Talalasi, which means endless stories or countless stories, because this is probably only one of many that's yeah. been recorded. The stories from Manoa, one yeah. as one section of Samoa. Yeah, it doesn't speak for all of Samoa, which is, I think, important to note in case people come in thinking that this is the like Bible of Kava. <laughs> Um, and that's one of many I haven't heard. No, I haven't heard this either. And so are no. there carver stories that you grew up or were familiar with that aren't necessary on this book? There is one about a mouse. Some of the elders saw that a mouse was eating a root off a tree and saw that the mouse sort of ran dizzingly or ran around sort of as if it was intoxicated. Um, and then they realised that that particular plant had some sort of specialty and then that's how sort of the other came about. It's a slightly less magical story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should talk about kava. Ava, kava, kawa, but in some words, ava. Um, I mean, the English name is Piper Mephisticum. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> I think calling it a special drink kind of just brings it down to being like Diet Coke or something. Like, it, when it's not that. It's more... It's like in ties with our traditions. I think we'll call it a medicinal drink. I've, I've heard medicinal, it yeah. quite often called medicinal drink, only because it doesn't have the same properties as would as you would if you were to drink alcohol. Um, so medicinal only because you'd have sometimes younger children drinking as early as 13. Oh, and the text it explained that once you've received your beer or tattoo for males, they're able to consume the other. But it's drawn from the root? Is it made from the root of the plant? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can I read from the text? I mean, it grows as a shrub at the most six feet high and a stem about an inch in diameter. The leaves are heart-shaped and are either green or more or less tinged with purple. It has small spikes of flowers. The extreme base of the stem and the rhizomes or creeping stems are the parts on which the beverage is prepared. So it's sort of the root that the other's prepared. So that's sort of the overall picture of what the other looks like. Yeah. To picture what kava looks like, the closest we have here in Aotearoa is kawakawa. It's from the same family, and you can see it in the shape of the leaves. Across Moana Nuiakiwa, there are lots of different varieties of this plant. 
What's the very earliest memory you have of Kama? My earliest memory of another was in high school uh, when we prepared it to um, celebrate Pacific Language Week, so specifically Samoan. Um, the other was prepared by what they called Tsaulelia um, or Untitled Men. And what they have is an already grounded sort of root that's been grounded. Um, so it looks almost like a powdery flower that's quite dark, like a sand color basically, um, that they put in a cloth and then with water, they sort of squeeze and strain the cover so it forms like a muddy water. The ceremony is done with no smiles at all. It's straight face throughout the whole process. And once all the mixing is done, um, there's no lumps and whatnot, um, we have one of the untitled men stand up and sort of start scooping the um, the other as awaiting for when one of the, the main people calling out the names who the other should be distributed to. Once the, the person of significance receives the cup of kava, they normally sort of tip some, well, they call a libation, where they, well, they're basically honouring God by tipping it, and they say, which this kava is for God. And then once he finishes consuming, everyone finishes with a clap, like, and then the next person has been caught up, and it goes by rank, usually. That's my earliest, like, memory of a kava. That was a very exact memory. <laughs> oh, when you were doing it, because it was at a high school sort of um, setting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, were you like very carefully engaged in um, yes. learning all the protocol? Yeah, like, I was kind of like purposely wanting to be there to see it all, experience it all, yeah. When I used the search term kava in Auckland Library's Kura Heritage Collections online, there are a number of photos printed in the late 1880s from the New Zealand Graphic and Auckland Weekly News which showed ceremonial practices across the Pacific of kava preparation. We'll include the links in the written references, but also one of my favourite images was in fact a 1973 black and white photo, which was taken on Multicultural Education Day at Hillary College, or Tara. I think it's an image that best reflects what Bamata was describing as his earliest memory of drinking ava. I'm keen to hear about the effects of drinking ava. Can you describe the taste and the... And the effect of the drink? It's quite a like an earthy taste, very feels very vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it gives me like my mouth numbs up normally yeah, when I consume numbs, the yeah. other. Yeah. It's like medicinal and kinda of taking your mind to a different place. But I think when we when we start to like describe other in that way, then that's when people will be like, well then isn't it just a isn't it just um, alcohol then? But that's not, it's just... It has a narcotic effect. That's yeah. probably the best way to put it. But much, much, much less. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me about other culture in Samoa? How big is it in Samoa and to Samoans? I think for those in back home in Sa, they would have a much like, it's second nature to be practicing this. But then us here in New Zealand, I think we'll have those who are really familiar with it and then those of us who want to be familiar with it but we're not really sure where do you start like do you just go to someone's cover circle that they're having one night is that how you start to get into it there's no real here's what you need to tick off before you want to start drinking cover whereas in Samoa it's like it's a, almost like a daily occurrence that they partake in it because there's like ceremonies happening with people getting their matai titles and stuff like that, or weddings, funerals, or whatever ceremony that the family thinks is the perfect time to have a other ceremony. 
in New Zealand, the other has moved from spiritual, ceremonial, cultural, and then now it's more commercial. And you'll find that the other has been grinded and then distributed and sold. Um, and you'll see that for cover shells, for instance. In other cultures, they're now using it sort of as a get-together. Um, but it's kind of like just almost function on a community level now. So it's quite casual. And that's, that kind of happens quite often with, with Tongan culture. I haven't seen much in Samoan. Um, I've only seen a lot, only, only when it's ceremonial. But in Tongan culture, you'll find that a lot of the Saturdays, for instance, you'll, you'll see a lot of cars parked up outside one house and you'll know it's a cover get-together. Uh, but the principles remain the same. The idea is you're still honouring your most highest during the time Dava is present. The principles are the same. And the way that we treat the plant and stuff like that, it's just that it's not happening as like the myths are saying like in heaven. It's just happening here in our garages. But it's still, the importance of it is still very high, even though the environment that it's being consumed in is a bit casual, maybe. To anyone, it might just look like we're just drinking off each other and like singing songs. But then like the reason why this practice has been, like continues to live on is because we understand that importance from when we grow up and stuff like that. Yep. is beautiful. Kava is really beautiful. Malalele, my name is Anao, Mesui Henry, Kohamui Ka Meli Vavau, Kolomotua Longo, Longo Longo, Mi Tonga Tapu, born in Tonga, raised here in Mangare, in Tamaki, and I'm going to pretend to be Todd Henry now. Um, hi, my name is Todd Henry, and I'm from Pennsylvania, and we met about 15 years ago. Should we have a show? Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, the customers are like, where are the people working here? <laughs> oh, the drinking cabin. <laughs> so typical of us. We met with Anau and Todd one evening at the Four Shells Carver Lounge at Victoria Street Market. We shared a bowl of carver and talked about what motivated them to create Four Shells and their life sharing carver and the culture of carver with the people of Tamaki Makoto. What got you guys into opening a carver shop? Um, you remember when there used to be organics and organic like on the side of the road? I thought that was like the best thing growing up. I didn't realize it was dirty and all that stuff. There could be like bed bugs and the mattresses. We just thought it was amazing. So we kind of grew up like that, like garage sailing and going to like fairs and collecting stuff, going to Tonga, selling it and selling kava and harvesting, pounding, all that stuff. Um, kava um, was kind of like our bread and butter. But my role model was my dad, and I was really close to my um, my brother, my brothers. So I kind of felt like from a really young age, I was always looking for a way to be like them or to hold on to the things they did because that's what I looked up to. And Gawa was such a integral part of our life that, yeah, it just kind of made sense I ended up in this space, but it was a matter of keeping those longings inside, keeping them alive, and then putting it out there. And then voila, here we are. How's it been? Yeah, four showers. Oh man, it's awesome. It's like an amazing thing to to walk in something that you've always known, that feels really, really close to home, that reminds you of how much you love your parents, that reminds you of just 
your ancestors and the path that you stand on and everyone that came before you, that you stand here now as this individual, but really you're like a collective group standing in this one body, this one little vessel now. Um, then you sit in the manner of your people. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like that stuff, the spirituality. Um, and it's amazing like to walk in the fruition of your dreams. Who does come down here? Um, who comes down here? Everyone. Actually, it's quite, yeah, it's quite a diverse group. You get your musos, you get your academics, your researchers, get your corporate people coming down. But I feel like it's anyone who can resonate with what we do, you know, creating space and not drinking, being brown and loud and yay in the city. <laughs> do you get many people who are um, like Polynesian or Pacific Island who are maybe born in Auckland yeah. coming through? Yeah, we do. Like Nangatahi coming through, Pacific, Māori, and a lot of, I've met so many from like North Shore and Central. We get a lot, get a lot of people who, um, I think they, they, they want to connect with something from their culture. Yeah. Um, but feel intimidated to go into traditional kava spaces. I mean, yeah. for me, like when I first married into a Naos family, I'd go to fight kava with Tongans and I, I was fine because I knew like they're not, I'm a white guy, they're not gonna expect me to know anything. Mm. And I'm, I always made it clear I'm there to learn and hang out with you guys, you know? And um, But if you are of, you know, Tongan descent, born here mm. and have limited knowledge, I. Even though the guys in the Faikavas will be welcoming, it would be intimidating. And I, I get that. So a lot of people come here and they, yeah, it's It's, it's cool. like a safe place, eh, where they feel like they can connect with their culture. It's a neutral space. It's a community space. And, you know, what underpins the space is that the Faikava Ikola, the forgotten principles of Tongan culture. Faikava, respect, dahiva, keeping good relations with those in the space, with Papatuanuku, you know, with your environment, um, humility, and then reciprocity. We try our best to live by those values. Um, and so when people come in, we greet them like we would greet anyone. Um, and then we just let them know what's on, on the menu, like what, what we're mixing on the night. And then most often they'll say, oh, I don't know what to have. And so we'll say, okay, if it's your first time, maybe you should just have a shower. But if there's a group of you, you can get a group bowl and then you can share. But yeah, we engage in conversation. Like we're like, where are you from? How's your day? It's kind of like a community space, but it's a business if that makes sense. It's funny, like when Todd and I go on dates, we're like what we should do after dinner? We actually just want to come here. And it's not because it's ours, but we just want to relax and talk and drink gava. Yeah. If you've never had gava, um, you know, gava, we've drank gava in the Pacific for well over 3,000 years. Um, and it's got a lot of like really, really deep meanings. You know, each island, they drink their own gava because when you're connecting with the soil, the gava pehara is from the land or it's, it's from the whenua that you came from. And when you drink that, especially when you're in the diaspora, you're consuming the mana of your land and everyone that's come before it. So there's so much power and there's so much mana in gava. So the way we consume it, we respect it. We don't mix it with alcohol. We don't do anything silly. At the same time, um, yeah, we honor the space of gava in a contemporary setting. 
the actual cover, the um, powder, do you bring it, is it grown in Tonga? We bring it from Vanuatu, Fiji and Tonga, yep. This this one's from Vanuatu. Mm. It's a variety called Melo Melo. It's, it's a favorite amongst a lot of the mm. guys who come in and girls, everybody. What yeah. makes it a favorite for people, do you reckon? I can uh, speak on my behalf, like for the effects, like the effects, some like are quite heady, whereas this one I feel like it gives me like a, a real body calm effect. In Vanuatu, they have over a hundred different cultivars. Mm. And these are, um, the these were planted by humans, you know, starting 3000 years ago uh, and, and continue. They don't propagate naturally. So everywhere kava has gone around the Pacific, people took it there. Amazing, right? Yeah, kava's like asexual, you plant it, you know? It doesn't just, you know, like Todd said, grow on its own. That's amazing. And that's how they were able to track, I guess, where kava came from and how it migrated down to the South Pacific. Obviously, I'm not Polynesian, but um, really? I've, <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been around it for a long time, around kava and married into a Tongan family for 13 years. And um, when I first started exploring kava, uh, it was I wanted to you know learn more about the Tongan culture and language and then I started getting into kava for what it is and uh, just to, you know experiencing it in different contexts different parts of the Pacific and the one principle that underpins all kava spaces is that of respect mm -hmm. whether people are sitting on the floor or sitting uh, on chairs or drinking from coconut shells or, or another way um, it, it's the underpinning factor should be respected. But it's the, like here at Four Shells, it's, uh, we, we do a lot of teaching people who don't come from a traditional background in Kava what it is about. You know, people come in and they, uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people in New Zealand tend to compartmentalize Kava in, this, in the same category as they would alcohol or marijuana. Or, I mean, we would argue that in an ideal world, Kava would have its own, its own category altogether. But... Um, I guess we, we do a lot of work to get people to shift that way of looking at kava more, almost the way they would tea and coffee. You know, I tell people all the time, we drink coffee in the morning, get started. How do we unwind at the end of the day? I mean, for us, it's kava, not with the intention to abuse it in any way, but as part of a healthy lifestyle, I guess. We use it for, for this, for conversation, for talanoa, yeah. Even that idea of kava being um, alcohol or, you know, intoxicating. That was like, that was colonial, you know? When missionaries came, they they found the kava and drank it and then decided that it was like an intoxicating. So we're, re we're correcting the education and the correcting narrative around kava. It stems back from so many years ago. Um, and the biases and the discrimination around kava and these rules around, um, you know, government legislation by people who don't even know, who don't even drink kava. You know, while it's a personal thing for me, it's also like, it's a huge responsibility because you're like centuries of correcting this narrative. But if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Kava belongs to all of us in the Pacific and we do our best just to keep it neutral and just get along with everyone. And then in the spirit of kava, that's what it is. It's calm, it's peaceful. The kavas, it's our cultural taonga, it's the moana's cultural taonga, it doesn't belong to one person. But I think um, the vision is to normalize kava. You know, we don't want to take away from the mana of kava. We don't want to water it down like they're doing in the kava bars in America where there's a lot of kava bars popping 
up left, right and centre that are not Pacific owned and the cultural parts of it are not there or they think it is, but it's not. We also want to like empower our own you know, tangata moana to um, hold those spaces like we are, hold the space as the people leading Gava because we can eat from it, but we'll also care enough about it to treasure and look after it. But I want to see everyone just drink Gava and have it as an option and it's not weird for people, you know? We, uh, one of the biggest challenges in getting started doing it was we tried to get a space at like Oh, seven or eight Honestly, different places around. Everywhere, you name it. We'd, city. yeah, we'd uh, we'd approach. Uh, we'd see somewhere for a lease and approach them. Oh, what do you want to put in it? Uh, Kava, Kava land, Kava. Nah, no way, not. Nah. I mean, one guy in Parnell was even like, if it was a, a cafe or a tea house, I'd say yes. Um, but I don't want drunk Samoans um, sleeping on the sidewalk or something like this. These are the kind of ideas that people have about Kava. It's the most ridiculous thing, you know, like these people, just their false narratives in their heads that they picked up who knows where. That's the kind of obstacles that we had to go through just to be here. So yeah, that's why we need to do well so that we can be those people for the next generation of Pacific people coming through. So when they ask us, hey, we want a cover lounge in your building. Oh yeah, sweet. We know what you're talking about. I don't know. We don't have to always explain ourselves to people. I'd like to see kava be like way more common and more understood by the um, by the the public in New Zealand. Your average Kiwi is very misinformed about kava. They have a lot of uh, wrong ideas about what it does, what it's used for, and um, and I, I would I'd like to see more more kava bars, lounges, whatever. Just more people embracing it as a part of doesn't have to be daily life, but a you know, part of a healthy lifestyle. Mm. I think we have a whole city of kava drinkers, it's just most of them don't know they drink kava yet. <laughs> that's the that's the goal. I'm so happy we had the same goal. <laughs> um, I guess I want to know why this text is important to you guys. For me it's important because it's talking about stories I've never heard before and I don't think I would have known about it if I didn't read this book. Cover being one of those things that kind of stood the test of time is massive. It existed before colonial times, which I think is massive for us because there's so many of our practices that got discarded or something um, when Christianity came. So like, it's something that connects us to the past and connects us to our origins. And I think that's why it, it's, it lives on the way it does. Yeah, so the text kind of just highlights exactly why Indigenous knowledge is important because if I had not known this text, I don't think I would have held Kava or Ava mm. at as much highest regard. I would just know it as honour the most highest. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But um, to have that, it's quite a very mythological or um, the Indigenous beliefs prior to Christianity, it just it almost makes me feel a bit sad that I didn't think of it as serious as, it, as, as I did. Yeah. And also, back home, I know we don't, we're not fully like really loaded in funding when it comes to preserving Taonga. So we're still in that very beginning stages. So when organisations like this are able to hold it for us for the time being, it is really important because otherwise it would have um, probably deteriorated. I think there's a quote that I know is that we look into the future and forward into the past. That's exactly how um, 
like indigenous perspectives that they that they already know they can foresee we just only need to look look forward into the past and backward into the future a lot of our histories are oral history and so nothing has been recorded and so to have something that is physical um, that is still held within Auckland libraries I think it couldn't be any more significant um, than that. It was so nice to get to drink kava in the making of this episode and find out more about this Taonga from the Pacific and I'd highly recommend you go and try it if you haven't yet. You can find a list of references for this episode in the published notes or get in touch with us by emailing libraryresearch at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz and we'll make sure you can find the collections of your interest. Thanks to Nia Vival and Pamata Tolea for sharing your research and connections with other drinking here in Tāmaki. And to Anau and Todd at The Four Shells for inviting us into the lounge for a shell. This series is made with Auckland Library's content creation funding and is part of a wider series that includes short films, Nako The Collections Talk, available to view online. This episode was written and produced by me, Sue Berman. It was recorded and produced by me, Benjamin Brooking. And edited and engineered by me, Juliana Machado. This has been Nako The Collections Podcast. Ava, kava, kawa. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of this series and more from Auckland Libraries.